Hello, and welcome to the Development Podcast from the World Bank, coming to you from Washington, D.C. and beyond. I'm Raka Banerjee. And I'm Srimathi Sridhar. This episode is all about supporting the world's poorest countries as we face the ongoing challenge of multiple crises. That's right. Today we are taking you on a deep dive into a part of the World Bank called IDA, the International Development Association. We'll be honing in on how IDA works, where, and why. There's the climate crisis. We obviously have just lived through a global pandemic. We have food insecurity on the rise. We have lots of debt issues. All of those crises impact the poorest countries the worst. What we're doing with IDA is basically responding to those crises and trying to help our countries overcome them. We'll also get an insight into some of the partnerships and projects at the heart of the organization from Bangladesh. Bangladesh is in the process of transitioning out of the use of IDA funds. 50 plus years on. So development happens. To the shores of a Pacific Island nation, the Republic of Kiribati. Women are not only born to be housewives. For me, I want to encourage all the women out there to get out from their comfort zone, chase their dreams. All that and more coming up on the development podcast from the World Bank. Climate change, pandemics, fragility, food insecurity. These intertwined crises pose significant challenges to the developing world. Low-income countries are particularly vulnerable, and their recovery from COVID-19 has been slow. That's right, Sri. And in general, their high levels of debt, combined with varying degrees of fragility, makes their populations vulnerable to further shocks, particularly given that their social safety nets are weaker. In a few moments, we'll dive in and explore what action the World Bank is taking to support the most in-need countries and guide you through those three key letters, I-D-A, IDA, short for the International Development Association. But first, let's get a snapshot of one young woman's life in the Republic of Kiribati. Kiribati is at the forefront of the climate challenge. IDA helps to support climate resilience in countries like Kiribati and job prospects too. Our producer, Sarah Trainer found out more. The sounds of Pacific Ocean waves beating on the shores of the tiny atoll that makes up Tarawa, the capital of Kiribati. The sea both provides islanders with food to consume and sell, fisheries make up over half of the country's GDP, but is also the biggest threat to their way of life. The islands are incredibly low-lying and vulnerable to rising sea levels. For young people, particularly women and girls, there can also be a lack of opportunity. But I spoke to one young woman who is leading the way, having studied marine science and now working with the community to ensure responsible use of fish stocks. Hello everyone, my name is Mary Henry and I'm from Kiribati. Uh, Most of you probably wouldn't know where and how Kiribati looks like. So Kiribati is one of the least developing countries in the Pacific, consisting of 33 atolls I live in the main land called Tarawa and it has a highest point of 3 meters above sea level with a population of 100,000 people. Tarawa and the rest part of the islands are very small. 
and narrow that you can see the ocean and lagoon at almost every places from the main road. You can see people, especially children, swimming and men fishing. From where I live, you can hear men singing on top of the coconut tree in an early morning and the sound of women's brooms sweeping outside their houses. So it's always noisy in the morning. What I love the most about my country is that we are surrounded by the beautiful ocean that provides us with fresh fish every day. When I chose marine science, I, I felt a bit scared and nervous because a lot of people always tell me that marine science is not a job for women um, because it involves a lot of diving farming and you know going out to the sea sometimes I see myself not not fit working for the fishery sector because I'm a woman uh, that doesn't stop me I just focus with my studies Mary is part of a fisheries enforcement unit at the country's Ministry of Fisheries and Marine Resource Development it was established only a couple of years ago Financial support for this work in Kiribati came from the $74 million Pacific Islands Regional Oceanscape Programme, which included $68 million from the World Bank's IDA. Uh, this unit deals a lot with uh, assisting communities uh, here on South Tarawa and in the outer islands as well. So we help them to develop their uh, fisheries management plan conducting uh, catch monitoring surveys, uh, establishment of uh, marine protected areas. Uh, the best part I love about working here in this unit is traveling to the outer islands to uh, conduct training on basic enforcement skills, also conducting awareness. Mary says that attitudes towards women are slowly changing and she's proud to be a part of the change. So to me, women are not only born to be housewives. For me, I want to encourage all the women out there to get out from their uh, comfort zone, chase their dreams and make a better change for their family and their beloved country. Thanks to Mary for sharing her story with us and for taking us on a journey to the Pacific. It sounds so beautiful there, but is also at such high risk. Raka, can you tell me a little bit more now about IDA, how it was created, how it works? I mean, even as someone who's worked here at the World Bank for several years, it's still hard for me sometimes to remember what all the different parts of the World Bank are and also what they do. I know exactly what you mean. That's why it was kind of fun to do a deeper dive in the, into different aspects of the World Bank this time. Um, founded in 1960, IDA is one of the five institutions that now make up the World Bank. So that's alongside the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, IBID. There's also IFC, that's the International Finance Corporation, and MIGA, the bank's multilateral investment guarantee agency. And those last two work together to promote private sector investment and mitigate political risk. And finally, there's ICSID, the International Center for the Settlement of Investment Disputes, which is sort of self-explanatory. I mean, that is quite a mouthful, but, but, but thanks for laying that all out. Now that you say it, I do know all those different parts of the World Bank. But can you break it down for people who might not be so familiar? Like, what do these parts actually do? 
So the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, or IBID, is probably what the bank is most known for, right? It is the largest development bank in the world, and it's owned by its 189 member countries. It was actually the first part of the bank to exist. It was created in 1944 to help Europe rebuild after World War II, hence the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Uh, these days, it offers loans and advisory services to middle-income and creditworthy low-income countries, and it also helps coordinate responses to regional and global challenges like climate change or the COVID pandemic. Okay, and the International Development Association, that basically complements the IBRD, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was established a little later uh, in 1960, and it's the part of the bank that's supporting the poorest countries in the world. It's actually the single largest source of donor funds for basic services in these countries. And like the IBRD, it aims to eliminate extreme poverty. More than half of IDA countries receive all or half of their resources on grant terms, which they don't have to repay. Then there's access to something called concessional finance. That's loans provided at zero or near zero percent interest. Okay, this is all super helpful to know. Can you talk a little bit more now about where IDA gets its cash from? Yeah, IDA is funded by contributions from the governments of its member countries, the capital markets, and World Bank resources. Donors meet every three years to replenish IDA resources and review its policy framework. The most recent replenishment of IDA's resources, the 20th, IDA 20, was finalized in December 2021, resulting in a historic $93 billion financing package for IDA countries for fiscal years 2022 to 2025. That's amazing. Thank you, Raka. And we'll hear a little bit more soon on how IDA is able to multiply those donations. But first, as with other parts of the World Bank, partnerships are vital to IDA. Gregory Chen is the managing director for the Ultra Poor Graduation Initiative within BRAC International. Gregory joined me here in the studio in Washington, D.C., and I started by asking him about BRAC International's origins in Bangladesh. Yeah, so BRAC uh, was founded in 1972, just at the birth of Bangladesh. And, um, and, and it must have been at about the same time or shortly thereafter that the World Bank also entered Bangladesh, a newly independent country. In the late 1990s, BRAC had been operating in Bangladesh for close to 30 years, and we had a broad-based development program. And Bangladesh, by the way, with the help of Ida and others, was actually starting to do better. We were starting to see um, you know, many of the ba basic indicators, education, health, even in per capita GDP, start to move in the right direction by the mid-late late 1990s. What we realized um, at the time from research was that there were pockets of people being left out. So what was overall a very good story at the country level still meant that there were pockets of people left out. So the program that, that I lead now was redesigned late 1990s in Bangladesh as a package focused intensely on people who were left out of broader economic growth. And uh, through testing and rigorous evaluation over the subsequent decade or more, uh, the approach has proven itself to be highly impactful in, in very diverse environments from Peru to Ethiopia to Ghana, Pakistan, India, mm -hmm. in addition to uh, the results remaining very strong in, in Bangladesh itself. Um, and so the program I manage is about helping that program scale elsewhere outside mm -hmm. Bangladesh. So at this crossroads of global development, amid increasing needs in the poorest countries, where do you think IDA fits in? 
going back to the history in Bangladesh is that, you know, there really was no tax base in Bangladesh at independence. There was very little government capacity to solve the problems. BRAC saw the need to fill the gap and IDA and the World Bank began to fill that gap on the World Bank side, on the government's side, especially augmenting the government's budget to do broad public works and development work across the country. Um, you know, Bangladesh is in the process of transitioning out of the use of IDA funds 50 plus years on. So development happens. And so I see, we see a role for IDA funds in other very low income countries in providing them the low cost development financing they need to move up and out of poverty. And I can say from my own experience, having grown up in Bangladesh and India in the 70s and 80s, development happens. When I go back today, it's a totally transformed world. I was curious to hear from you. Do you have kind of a your own sort of personal anecdote or when you think about the work that you've done at BRAC with BRAC, what, um, what gives you hope as you think about the future that lies ahead? Well, from a, from a personal anecdote would be going in and walking into the villages of Bangladesh uh, with my parents in the 1970s and to going back now and just seeing the transformation, you know, with your own real eyes over that time frame. I mean, I would go to one anecdote very recently. Uh, my team, the UPGI team from BRAC was back in Bangladesh last year, and we, we happened to run into a woman named Jorina who is a um, who is a, a sort of a, a figurehead in her community now. She's one of those who during Eid gives meat back to the rest of the villagers. Her kids are on to higher education, better things. She's got three or four uh, income earning businesses. She owns land, livestock, a small store. Um, but going back to 2005, she was destitute. Um, and, you know, in an abusive marriage, her, her husband left her with several small children. Um, and, you know, she's transformed her own life, not by the contributions of BRAC or the excessive generosity of BRAC, but she did come through our program, the graduation program in 2005, and has since been able to go on and, and meet the broader challenges of improving her own and her family's lives since then. And it's um, it's just very there. There are there are there are frankly millions of stories like that in a place like Bangladesh. Sure, she is uh, she's far from alone. Gregory Chen, thanks so much for coming to speak to us about this really fascinating and important work. That story of the mother in Bangladesh really hits home. It really does, doesn't it? And just a quick reminder, if you're listening in, do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And we do have a survey we'd love for you to take, which is accessible on your podcast platforms. Well, this has been such an interesting explainer. It's really amazing to hear from Mary and from Gregory and joining the dots, so to speak, on you know how these kinds of partnerships and projects relate. But I would really love to get the inside view from Ida. Well, Raka, you're in luck because to give us a big picture and put it all into context, I sat down in the studio with Dirk Reinerman. Dirk is the World Bank's Director for Development Finance, and he oversees IDA. Well, thanks for your interest in IDA, uh, first of all, Sri. And um, the first thing I should say is IDA's priorities are the priorities of the countries that we serve, right? It's a demand-driven model. Um, and if you look at what's out there facing them at the moment, 
there are these multiple crises that we face at the moment globally. There's the climate crisis. We obviously have just lived through a global pandemic, um, all of us. Um, we have food insecurity on the rise. We have lots of debt issues. Um, and all of those crises impact the poorest countries uh, the worst, but also uh, the poorest within those countries, the poorest people within those countries. Um, what we're doing with IDA is basically responding to those crises and trying to help our countries overcome them. Uh, and I'm happy to say that IDA is the single largest source of financing, um, the single largest anti-poverty fund mm -hmm. in the world, if you like. Um, and it provides about $93 billion um, every three years. So it's a, it's, a good, it's a good chunk of money. If That's we didn't amazing. have it, you know, we'd, have to, we'd have to invent it. Um, Ida, so Ida is helping these countries react to these crises and, as our president says, fight poverty um, and create a livable planet um, for, for everybody. We are a lender, right? So we provide debt finance, but we do it on financial terms that takes the debt situation into account. Mm -hmm. And we have what we call a traffic light system. So when you're in debt distress, meaning you're having difficulty serving uh, your debt, then we consider you a red light country and we provide 100% grants. So it's like going to your bank and saying, look, I'm a little bit in, a, in trouble right now. I lost my job. You know, could I get grants rather than loans? Well, a normal bank wouldn't do that, right? Right. But Ida does that for our countries because that's so difficult. When they're in a in a yellow light, meaning that they're close to that at risk of going into debt distress, we provide half of the money in grants and half of the money in in regular Ida, very concessional, so very attractive, cheap terms. And when you're green light, then you're managing your debt fine, and then we provide um, Ida on the on the regular concessional terms, right? So. Right helping these countries over these global challenges with um, pretty significant financing and on terms that are really adjusted to their situation. We heard earlier in the show about IDA 20. It's historic $93 billion package for IDA countries. And I asked Dirk to tell me a little bit more about it. So we launched it in 22, a year earlier, and it was really to meet these enormous needs that were hitting uh, countries. So we put together a $93 billion package, but we didn't stop there. Six months into IDA 20, we looked at this and we said, hey, we're actually spending out of the crisis response window, which is one of the windows in IDA 20, we're spending an extraordinary amount very fast mm -hmm on responding to particular crisis, and that's food insecurity. And those are severe weather events that we're seeing. So floods and droughts and hurricanes that are literally ripping apart the, the infrastructure of countries and that needed to be rebuilt very quickly. For that, we have the crisis response window. But at this point, we're one year into IDA 20, so one out of three years, but we've already spent two thirds of the money. So we said we need a fundraising effort in between replenishments and we're, out there, you know, fundraising from the donors. We already have a number of pledges. We know donors are looking at this. So we hope to have uh, another, I can't say exactly how much, but we're hoping sure. that a couple of billion at least. Uh, we're aiming for six. We've just heard from one of Ida's partners in this episode. So tell me, why do you think working with other organizations is is so critical? That's, that's really an important uh, question, Shri, because, you know, as I said, the numbers are big. But the challenges are huge and we're not going to be able to do any of this alone. And that's very clear. No single 
institution can solve any of these global challenges alone. We're going to have to work through this in very close partnership. We work in 75 countries, so we have a wide reach. We also work across sectors. So unlike some other partners, we work in everything from human capital to infrastructure right, to climate change. Um, and that gives us a good platform in countries to bring people together and to really work in partnership, in support of um, of government. So that's that's very powerful. We work with global organizations that are in the UN system. And frankly, again, we could not do our work um, without that partnership. We also have uh, non-sovereign. We have uh, Gates, the Gates Foundation, for example, which is one of, one of our biggest partners um, outside of sort of governmental um, organizations, the private sector, uh, civil society organizations, right? Very important in terms of service delivery in countries, but also in terms of holding governments accountable uh, for the good use of taxpayer money and and um, and development money. Uh, and then, last but not least, we have a number of our bilateral donors, right? Our shareholders, the donor shareholders, that also have their own agencies, and we work uh, together. So this is one of those things where it's all hands on deck, yeah. and um, that's the only way we can tackle this with partners. HIDAC currently transforms every $1 of money from donor countries into more than $3 of financing for the world's poorest countries. How do you do that? Yeah, HIDAC is a bank, right? And it's really an, an amazing example of a strong international partnership that develops exceptional value for money. Because we have to remember at the end of the day, all of this starts with um, resources from our donor partners, and that's taxpayer money. And those countries have to be able to go back to their parliaments and say, what did we buy with this money, right? What yeah. was the value for this money? So this is incredibly important, and it's part of the, the success story um, of IDA. IDA has this unique ability to leverage financing, right? To borrow against the resources that we have, the equity, and then to lend out even greater volumes um, through this through this model. So with that, we can basically, for every dollar that we take in, we're 23 billion, we're able, we're able to leverage that up to 93. We can turn a dollar into $4 that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because of this um, very unique um, model. Uh, so talk about bang for your buck, right? Yeah. This is exactly what, what Ida uh, brings. And it, you know, we like to say it brings the best deal in development. You know, when I'm thinking about our conversation multiple crises really stands out. We really can't forget that as we kind of look ahead. But what have you seen in your work that gives you hope? Yeah, time and time again, when when things looked really bleak, right, we had all of a sudden innovations that transformed the way we live together and with the way we interact together. You know, but going on this on this positive theme, what do you consider to be some of Ida's greatest success stories? In a long history of, of IDA and this being the biggest anti-poverty fund um, in the world, you obviously find a number of really uh, amazing stories. And those go from, um, you know, a project called SWED in, um, in the Sahel, which is about women empowerment, to our now 50-year partnership with Bangladesh, wow. which has helped really transform that nation, nation's development trajectory. So IDA's reach um, really is enormous, and um, you can see these success stories. They're, they're, they're real. It goes well beyond the numbers, right? These numbers are very impressive, but they're just dollars committed and dollars dispersed. The, the amazing thing about IDA is the results achieved on the ground when you see um, how these lives have been improved. The other factor that I find uh, just remarkable is how several IDA countries 
have gone from being an IDA borrower to being an IDA donor. Mm. Uh, and just most recently, we welcomed Armenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Northern Macedonia, and Georgia as new donors. That's amazing. They're still part of our development community in, in the World Bank, and they're now contributing um, as, as IDA donors. And I was country manager in Bosnia eight years after the war. And for me to see that that country is now coming back as a donor to IDA is, is really It's a great incredible. kind of full circle moment for you, Indeed. right? Absolutely. So that gives me hope. And yeah. IDA is very much a part of that story. And I think we will be in the future. Thanks again to Dirk. That was really fascinating conversation. And I also want to thank Gregory and Mary as well. It really was. We hope you enjoyed this episode and our race around the world of Ida. Please do look out for the next one. We are going to be taking an August break, but we will be back soon. And please get in touch. We are at the development podcast at worldbank.org. Until next time, I'm Srimati Sridhar. And I'm Rocket Banerjee. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye.